sounds like an idea. I mean, aside from my kind of knowledge and having a wall of darkness book at one point. Press Radio. I'm Dan. I'm Andrew. I'm Zach. And we're doing our Vampire the Masquerade podcast uh, part two tonight. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of exciting. I, I enjoyed our first uh, first discussion. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton of time to study. I, I looked up a little bit of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dealing with a sick kid tonight and I was planning on you know, reading up a little bit more tonight because I've been just super busy. Yeah. Um, and partly lazy, but mostly busy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is this is good, though, because, like, Zero, you weren't here for the uh, last episode, the first one, so yeah. uh, it gives you a chance to, to interact a little bit more and ask some more questions. And if we ask the same questions again, that's okay, too, because I'm sure a lot of people that didn't listen to the first episode um you know might catch this one so right we, uh we actually had a lot of people download the last episode i think we had mm-hmm. like 500 downloads the first like night that i put that episode up so uh people like vampires it turns out yeah it's still a thing never went away even though twilight did some damage to it yeah you know there's there's only so much damage you can do to the uh undead well yeah you, you had like a good generation of people that uh, more or less grew up with Queen of the Damned. <laughs> so I don't I don't think vampires are ever going to completely go out of style. No, I mean it's kind of like everything it goes in phases. I mean cuz like obviously like, you know, zombies were a big thing for the last, I don't know, 5 10 years now they're starting to get boring and stale. You know, uh pirates were definitely a thing for a bit there. Yeah, solid like six oh, then later, at least. Yeah, and then later on, you know, in the 60s and stuff, you know, they started airing them on television. So then, you know, kids of that generation got to watch those on television with like the horror hosts and stuff. And then, you know, that eventually faded away. And then, you know, now you have your, you know, you have Universal trying to to bring life back to that franchise and failing miserably because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. <clears throat> but, you know. But then, you know, you have other films that come along like uh, like Blade came along and that was sort of a new, unique, okay, here's vampires, you know. Oh, man, I forgot about Blade. Like, almost everybody I knew was into that shit. Right. I actually and... liked the first Blade movie. I thought it was good. Yeah. I like the first three. There's only three, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's only there's only right. three. I like the first two. I didn't really care that much for the third one. Um, but the first two were great, especially the second one because you had Ron Perlman. I mean, come on. <laughs> The second one was my favorite, but I actually like the third one more than I like the first one. Mm-hmm. Hold on, guys. I'll be right back. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, no, I I remember going. I think Trinity was the only one that I saw in theaters, and I I loved that, and I got the soundtrack for, it, and I listened to that shit over and over again. Yeah, they all the films have had killer soundtracks. The first two I actually went to go see in the theater. And like I knew about Blade and stuff from the comics, but I didn't know what they were going to do with it other than Wesley Snipes was going to be in it. And I was like, so this would be interesting. And that sort of not only did that kick off, not only did that kick off uh, like Marvel's, you know, cinematic, you know, universe thing that, you know, we're up to, you know, what, 22 some odd movies now, you know, Um but it also, I think, brought a resurgence in vampires because you know a few short years after that, you had like Underworld, and and Underworld is pretty much like here is Vampire the Masquerade, the movie essentially, you know, with a little with a little liberties taken and stuff to make it just you know unique enough to not be sued, you know. But I honestly was not a big fan of Underworld. Yeah, and I know a lot of people weren't, but I mean, like, essentially, when you watch that movie a lot of stuff is taken uh a lot you could tell that they got a lot of inspiration from sure. the masquerade and then you know when but later on when you got true blood i mean that one almost kind of a rip off in a way <laughs> well so my problem with with uh underworld's probably similar to to with true blood which is like mm-hmm. i loved it at the beginning i, mean, mm-hmm. I love the first underworld movie and i mm-hmm. you know but and I love the first season of True Blood, but when it got further and it became more about like the like personal plots and the romance and the werewolves, I was fuck I stopped caring. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's one of the tricky parts about those movies. And plus on top of that, in between there you had Twilight, which came out, which kind of you know, fucked everything up because they're like, now vampires have to be all romantic and shit. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> they're fucking I, monsters. <laughs> you I, know, I, I think Hollywood overuses romance, mm-hmm. like where it's just not needed. Like, I didn't feel like it was super necessary in the <clears throat> world. I, I felt like they yeah. had a great idea for a story. And then it's like, and then we have to make it about these, this relationship being super special and romantic. Right, kind of the same in Hunger Games. Like you didn't really need a romance plot in Hunger Games. Yeah, well, that's the that's the idea. I think with for I mean, for one, vampires are supposed to be an allegory for you know sexual you know deviancy essentially. But in movies, the whole idea that in a way is kind of dumb. I think in this day and age is they're trying to make a movie that has something for everyone. So if you're, if you're a hardcore horror fan, you know, and want to go see blood and guts and vampires being vampires, well, we've got that. We've got your action adventure stuff thrown in there too. And then if you're going to have, you're going to drag your wife or your girlfriend along who probably doesn't give a shit about the rest of that. Here's your romantic subplot we can throw in to try to, you know, make them interested. And it's like, you don't necessarily need to do that. I mean, when they did the Bram Stoker's Dracula, I thought that the way they did that worked out well. I mean, yes, it's cheesy. Yes, it's high melodrama. But again, you're dealing with a book that was written like, you know, hundreds of years ago at this point. Yeah. So the the way that they handled it, I think, worked out really well to where it was it was a romance, but it you knew it was like forbidden and it was sexy. You know, it had all of that wrapped up, but it wasn't completely heavy on it to the point where it became a, you know, like a, a rejected episode of 
Saved by the Bell or some shit, you know, where it just got really maudlin and stupid halfway through, and it's like nobody cares anymore. I just can we get back to the blood sucking now, <laughs> you know? I, I think most of the reason I liked stuff like uh, like Interview with a Vampire and Queen of the Damned mm-hmm. was that romance wasn't really a big part of it. Like there was lust, there was romantic interest, but there wasn't really so much a romance plot to it. Well, well if you, you got to remember you're ta- too, uh, Queen of the Damned basically started with him being taught that he couldn't have meaningful relationships anymore because he eats that thing now. Yeah, I don't care what the plot device is. I'm just happy that there's a movie that doesn't end in the world's most important relationship. It's just, it's just really, I'm done with it. Yeah, and even then, like, if you actually go back to, uh, like, the actual Anne Rice books, like, yes, there's sex and romance in there, but it's not, like, it's not your typical, you know, romantic relationships like these are you know these you know supernatural creatures who have these different wants and desires and you know it does mirror love and relationships but it's definitely not going to go the way you think it's going to go well and people get real fucking weird and kinky like Mm -hmm. in their normal lifetime now imagine that for Mm -hmm. a thousand years right they probably get into some real weird fetishes i mean you know i mean specific things (laughs) There was actually a long time ago, um, one of my favorite horror movie websites, uh, Dread Central, used to have a podcast, and they did an episode where they were talking about Twilight. And one of the things that the one of the guys brought up on there was like, why would this vampire, this hundreds of years old vampire, want to, you know, basically like woo a, a high school girl? <laughs> and one of the guys chimes in. He's like, it's all about tightness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was like he kind of might have a point there but yeah I do kind of see the point that like that's just pointless like why would he do that like an like an older you know mature woman would make more sense because <laughs> at least he would have something to talk about with her <laughs> whereas like you know I'm I'm a hundred you know two three four hundred year old vampire but I'm gonna go date this high school girl and like nowadays like oh god <laughs> I would well, probably I, I would probably just eat her on principle. <laughs> I think everything would just be funny at that point. Like they say something and you're just mm-hmm. like, "Oh, that's cute. You think you'd know stuff." Well, <laughs> I remember too from the the Twilight movies. I think he was the guy was originally into her because she smelled good. Yeah, and I mean, so that's like cool maybe if... it was maybe it was like a, a pheromone thing. It wasn't even like a you know a conscious choice to be like oh i like that one right and i'm and i can totally get that even though it still seems like a really weird reason for a vampire to hook up with a mortal chick but hey you know there's been better and there's also been dumber ways to go about that (laughs) that particular plot device Hmm. but i think like movies like interview with a vampire were were interesting because it's like we're vampires but we're not gonna act like you know we don't act like your typical vampires and you know what you what you think when you see like the old Dracula films and whatnot. Like this is not you know this is not movies. This isn't TV. This is you know something real and tangible. And it's definitely not something you want to play around with. And that's one of the things I liked about um, the Vampire the Masquerade game setting was because it was not you know I mean yeah there might be relationship stuff that happened you know in the course of a playthrough, but like it wasn't going to end well. Like no matter what you did. <laughs> You know, it was definitely going to end in well, tears. The other <laughs> thing is, like, comparing movies like 
you know, interview with the vampire and some of the older stuff, like even queen of the damned, which is fairly new, mm-hmm. um, you know, by that standard, it's, it's a very different thing than shows like true blood and, mm. you know, just any series because, yeah. you know, they can't really, their budget isn't going to let them do like underworld graphics all season right. for 10 seasons. And people generally don't go to those shows for the action. They right. go to those shows for the relationships and the drama. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't an action TV show. That was a drama. You know, it, it was, it, it's just way more cost effective for the studio. And it's what the audience seems to like anyway, because you can only watch vampires fight and not kill each other for so long. Yeah. And I mean, and you know, that's actually a really good point. And you know, yeah, that does make sense. But I mean, if we're talking about, if we're talking about vampires in terms of like, you know, again, like I said, they're, they're that allegory for, you know, like sexual deviancy, you know, you know, relationships or, or whatever that are, you know, they're not supposed to have or forbidden and whatnot. You know, that's where, that's where that whole mythology really makes its, you know, bread butter as it were. Um, But in general, I think that with the masquerade, like, again, you've got, all the different clans that have their own unique stuff, uh, which makes their own personal stories um, interesting. Uh, one of the concepts of the the game that I really liked was the idea of merits and flaws. Because uh, when you're when you're making a character, you have the ability to give them certain traits that are either going to be beneficial or going to be you know be a little harder for your character to work around, um, and Granted, that was a great thing for players creating characters because, like, a lot of the games that I did, like, especially the LARP games, if you took a lot more flaws, you got a lot more of those points, like, back that you could use to put into other things to buff up other stats or whatever. But I just thought some of them were interesting in terms of, like, the LARP scene in general because some of these you're reading and it's like, how do you act that out? you know, in a, in a setting with other people. Like there's like, I know a lot of the Nosferatu ones are like really gross, like, you know, slimy skin and stuff like that. It's like, do you really want to act that out? Or we just going to like pretend that that's the thing, you know? Um, I know like one of the flaws that a lot of the Vaseline. (laughs) Well, I know that one of the flaws, like a lot of people um, tended to take was touch of frost, which basically, you know, like you shake somebody's hand, you feel like, you know, a, a, you know, a, block of ice you know like you're just cold you know and that one was a very simple like one point thing like it really wasn't you know a big deal but it was just something easy that a lot of people tended to take and that wasn't so bad because you shake somebody's hand in game you would like do your out of character like you know motion to let people know you were talking like explaining something and just be like hey you know you my hand feels incredibly cold which is funny because i did that in one game and we both had the same <laughs> the same flaw so i was like does that mean our hands are stuck together now i'm not sure <laughs> just if you lick them first <laughs> but i mean it's and those are kind of concepts that i like about that game was that they're like you know just because you're a vampire doesn't mean you know it's all you know blood and rainbows you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) it's not all blood and rainbows sometimes it's gonna be just a lot of blood and tears (laughs) all at the same time you know that you know not everything was pretty i think like honestly this is it's kind of weird but like my biggest like issue with the whole twilight series Mm -hmm. was the idea of vampires being sparkly 
Like yeah, that's the one. And not not because they were sparkly. Like fucking fine, be sparkly, but do it in mm. the moonlight. Like being sparkly in the sun fucks it up because they're you know creatures of the night, and their whole mm. you know universal weakness is the sun, right? Pretty much over just about any folklore, it's usually the sun is not good for vampires. I mean, they're you know obviously if you're going into like folklore and myths and whatever, you know some of them could you know, go out in daytime, but they were weaker. They weren't necessarily going to burst into flames. But generally speaking, yes, that's been a pretty universal thing that most vampires in the sun do not get along. So I don't know about the the movies, but in the books, the sun kills them. At night is when they do the sparkly thing. But in the book, it's just supposed to be that they look like they're like made of diamond, I guess. Like they're supposed to look like a really sturdy rock. That's why they're so strong and powerful and it's so hard to hurt them. And then when they made the movie, they were like, how do we make that work? I don't know. Sprinkle some glitter on the motherfucker. That's close, right? They were, they were, (laughs) they were like, Hey, JJ Abrams gets away with let's do something kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah. We're just going to cut the budget for this there. I do feel like if they had gone like full X-Men and made them, you know, like Colossus diamond person, um, you know, that would have been one thing, but yeah, making them look like they just walked out of a strip club really just didn't do it for me. No, I, I yelled at my television and like threw a shoe or something when I saw that scene. I was like, really? That's how you're going to fucking do it? Like, Yeah. Like at first I saw the posters and I wasn't familiar with the books, but I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I saw like the first trailer and I was like, okay, different. But then all of a sudden, like, I'm hearing about, like, oh, these vampires can go out in the day and they sparkle like a gay man at Studio 54. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> yeah. I like, didn't like uh, the, the actors they picked. Like, I don't know. That's just not how I pictured them. The books were, yeah. were actually all right. Like, the main mm-hmm. character still. The books were complete. average teen fiction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They weren't fantastic, but they were decent. My biggest problem was, like, the very end of the series. Right. Because they introduce all these really neat characters, and I care about them honestly more than I cared about the main two characters. Right. And they start getting ready for this like big giant conflict. And they're getting ready and they're getting ready. And I'm looking at the final book and I'm like, I'm running out of pages here. Yeah. And then you get to the very end and they're just like, didn't really need to happen. The end. And I was like, fucking it's it's like Fable Two, where you spend the whole game getting ready for the boss fight, and then when you see the boss, he's like, "I give up." Yeah, motherfucker, what? Like, <laughs> well, and yeah, like that's that's just kind of just gener- generally bad writing because you made your main character that's the point of focus have their superpower to nullify all the other cool superpowers, and it's just like, yeah. well, that's boring. Like now, right. what? so we talk at each other, I guess. Like I could go to a fucking high school debate, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it'd be different if the dialogue and stuff was interesting, but again, you know, for movie going audiences, especially you know nowadays, I find it's like you, you know, it's literally that thing of you have to have an action scene like every ten pages, otherwise people are going to get bored. So they threw in a lot of stupid stuff, and in the film, the fucking vampires play fucking baseball. In the middle of the goddamn night to where it sounds like a thunderstorm. 
was actually they, one of the better parts of the well, I thought they I thought they played baseball no. during a thunderstorm. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was getting to, yeah. But either way, I'm just like, the fuck kind of bullshit is this? Like, vampires don't play baseball? <laughs> it's like, you know, like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Like, don't you guys have other shit to be doing? Like... I don't know, like little things like that. I mean, yeah, you know, obviously, like you said, it's it's young adult fiction, but I'm like, yeah, but young adult well, fiction doesn't have to be this stupid. No, but you got to keep in mind too, like in the Twilight universe, they have the whole like the clans of vampires and the big interconnected politics. Like they have the standard vampires, right? And the main vampires of that story were the vampires that were like, yeah, I don't want to fucking do that. Which is so, fine, but th- there's instead a... of doing the regular vampire thing, they're just like, I don't know, fuck it, let's go to high school and play baseball because after a thousand years, we just give up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's my point because if you take that and you juxtapose it with Louis' story from Interview with a Vampire, he had the same idea. Like, I want to do the same kind of bullshit that everybody, all the other vampires I've met, want to do. You know, I don't want to be you know this like hedonistic monster of the night. You know, and it's like that's fine. And he went and did his own thing. But he didn't go fucking play baseball and go to high school, you know, like right. I, I mean the long and short of it is they were the legitimate vegan vampires of that universe. Mm. Like they wanted to be you know, they wanted to virtue signal and like be nice to the humans and you know, don't hurt the animals even though they're cattle. You know. And yeah, I don't try to pretty accurate. with them. Like they wanted to live amongst the animals basically and like Go, you know, they were the tree huggers of the vampire universe, literally. <sighs> that sounds boring as fuck. It <laughs> that's was. Why, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why what... none of the other vampires do that. They're just like, fuck those hippies over there. <laughs> right. Like, can't we do something interesting at least? Yeah. I don't know. That's that's why I never got into that universe and I try to forget about it as much as possible. But I figured since we're talking about this, it's one of those things that kind of has to be mentioned and, you know, well, like the, the worst part about it, honestly, is it could have been really cool. Like it had mm-hmm. the setup for an interesting story. Right. Um, the, I actually really liked the vampire werewolf interaction in that series. I thought they did some smart things with like the tensions between them and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the go-between person, you know, making it so they have to interact with each other without just, you know, murdering each other. Like, they did right. a good job with that, but, you know, pretty much everything else just kind of sucked. Yeah. <clears throat> that Yeah, that's pretty much why I sort of don't even pay it any attention. It's like, I've got other source material and stuff that I enjoyed more anyway, you know, as far as, like, inspirations and things that got inspired by you know, Vampire the Masquerade and all that. Because there's plenty of stuff out there. Like I said, Blade kind of has that a little bit. Um, you know, True Blood, you know, almost as a, a direct ripoff, Underworld. You know, I mean, I'm actually one of the the weird people that went to see Van Helsing multiple times and still kind of enjoy it. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a cheese fest movie, but from the guy who made the mummy, <laughs> you know, the, the Brendan Fraser remake, like I wasn't expecting anything like high art, you know, <laughs> like I was expecting something popcorn fun, you know, and that's basically what I got. So I didn't really have a problem with the movie, but you know, a lot of critics and whatnot didn't like it. So yeah, whatever. I thought the way they did the vampires there was kind of funny to me because it reminded me a lot of, 
Fright Night because they had the elongating jaws and everything. And I was like, that's cool, although the, the CGI effects look kind of stupid. But, you know, I'd rather see the prosthetics and stuff like they used in Fright Night. But still, again, I, I thought at least they were trying to do something unique and interesting with the vampires and Dracula himself. You know, and I think uh, uh, Richard Roxborough, I think, was the name of the guy who played Dracula in that film. I think he, like, if you watch, he clearly knew this was going to be, like, over the top. So he went, like, way over the top and just had fun with it. And I'm like, if if you can do it, you know, just go for it. Be be silly, you know. Be over the so... top and enjoy one of my one of my other absolute favorite vampire movies of all time mm-hmm. is uh John Carpenter's Vampires. Yes. And like yes. it's super cheesy and mm-hmm. you know like it it is just your you know cookie cutter 90s movie, right? But I mean, for some a, reason yeah. it has a charm to it, I thought. Yeah, I still think it's a really it's definitely much better than its, you know, direct to video sequels. You know, for one, I don't like Bon Jovi in the first place, except for like the Young Guns Two album, and that's about all I like of him. So Yeah. But but I mean, like, I really enjoyed that film. I started reading the actual book that it was ba- that it was made from. Um and it it's I mean, to a certain extent I think they took some of the stuff from the book and went a little over the top with it. But I mean, it's John Carpenter, and I'm a huge fan of his films, like even his not so stellar works. Yeah, I um, like John Carpenter as well. Yeah, like Ghosts of Mars, I thought was not as horrible. I actually, love that movie. Happened. That was one of the few horror movies I really, really liked. Yeah, and I was really saddened by the fact that it was originally supposed to be another Escape from movie, but because the Escape from LA didn't do so well, they retooled it and threw Ice Cube in there, and I was like. I still kind of hold out hope. I want to see Ice Cube's character from that movie and Snake on the screen at the same time, <laughs> just like working together or something. You know that that would be fucking amazing. Uh, but I don't know. Like, and yeah, I really liked vampires, especially because like those vampires in that film were fairly unique in the terms of like they didn't, you know they didn't like have, you know, gothic crypts to inhabit. Like they basically just buried themselves in the dirt, waited until the sun went down. Like, all right, let's go guys. <laughs> you know, right. like, they, like they, you know, which makes a lot of sense, especially cause they're out in the middle of a fucking desert. Like who's going to come by and be like, Hey, there's these mounds here. <laughs> you know, I wonder what's underneath these, you know? And on top of that, I like, like, especially the, the scene they, they chose like for one of the trailers where he's like, you know, forget all the shit you've seen in the movies. They're not romantic. They're not sexy. They're monsters. They're going to kill you, <laughs> you know, like, and I like that because a lot of the times, like we were kind of discussing with the other movies and stuff is to a certain extent, vampires get overly romanticized. Like if you watch the vampire diaries on CW, like it's a fucking, like it might as well be dark shadows 2.0. Like it's a fucking soap opera that just happens to have vampires in it. You know, like if you took the vampire stuff out and you made him a bunch of white kids at a prep school, boom, same fucking plot, you know, same idea. And that's why I like it when movies go out of their way to make the vampires actually fucking monsters like Queen of the Damned. Akasha is, you know, yeah, she's fucking hot, but she's going to fucking eat you. So, you know, it's it's you know, it's kind of like me. I like sharks, but I know sharks will fucking eat me if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I don't be there, you know. Yeah. But I still think that they're beautiful, beautiful creatures, and I still like watching, you know, Shark Week all the time. 
you know, and that's, that's to me how a vampire should be. It should be something beautiful and interesting, but you know, damn well, you shouldn't be doing anything with them, you know, cause you know, you're probably going to end up dead at the end of it. But there is something to be said too, for comedies too, because one of my favorite vampire comedy movies was one of Jim Carrey's first films. And that was once bitten. Oh Yeah which is fucking hilarious. Like it, it basically, if you boil it down and took all the vampire stuff out of it, it's just a eighties teen sex comedy, but you throw the vampires in on top of it and it makes it even more interesting because here's this vampire. She's got to get three trans three, you know, transfusions of virgin blood and trying to do that in the middle of the eighties. Let's be real guys. <laughs> you know, how are you going to find a virgin in this town? So, <laughs> Oh, so I don't think either of you guys have watched this, but one of my favorite vampire series, um, just in general, isn't like just necessarily only vampires, but kind of like the whole, it's got more of the, like the creatures of the night sort of vibe going on. Um, right. Gosh, now I can't think of the fucking name of it. Uh, um, Is it Hemlock Grove by any yeah, chance? Yeah, yeah, Hemlock Grove. Yeah, um, that, that was, actually that, that actually wasn't great. bad. Did you watch it finally? Yeah, I did. I, okay, yeah, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but what I've watched of it so far, I'm like, yeah, this isn't you know too bad, really. I mean, I didn't think it really was going to be that bad, but like my only minor gripe, just for aesthetic reasons, is I've always hated it when you have werewolf characters that go from being a human and turn into like actual wolves. Like that, the physiology of that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I'd rather, you know, I've, I grew up watching stuff like American werewolf in London and, you know, uh, like even the underworld films, like when those werewolves transform, like that's cool, you know, but like Van Helsing had the same problem too. Cause I didn't like the idea that, Oh, well the guy's a werewolf. So all he does is he rips off his skin and he's a wolf underneath. And then he rips off the wolf skin and he's a guy underneath. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> like even for, like, even if you're doing the suspension of disbelief thing, like that's just a little too fucking weird for me, you know, but I think the way that they handled it was pretty well done. It's just, that's my minor gripe thing that kind of takes me out of it is when you see that kind of transformation thing. So the thing I really, I really enjoyed about the vampires in particular about that mm -hmm. was they just drank blood. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily, you know, pointy teeth and, you know, shadows in the night. Like for a long Mm -hmm. time, the character didn't even realize what he was Mm -hmm. and they didn't, you know, they didn't call them vampires. I think it was like an au pair. Right. And that's, that actually kind of another way of saying vampire basically, but still. Right, and that actually brings me to something I wanted to mention too, and I don't know if either of you guys have seen this film. I recommend that you do homework assignments, you know, um, is the movie Near Dark, which came out actually about the same time as Lost Boys did. But in that film, you have – first of all, you have a third of the cast of Aliens. You have Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, and I forget her name offhand, but it's the chick who played Vasquez. Okay. An alien. Yeah. Yeah. You've got those three. They're vampires. You got this other like pretty pixie cut blonde thing that's a vampire. Um did you guys ever watch Heroes? Yeah. I saw a couple episodes. Okay, you remember the the one brother that was that could fly that was running for mayor or whatever, senator or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in it. It was one of his first film roles and he gets to be newly turned into a vampire. But throughout the film 
Nobody ever says vampire. Nobody ever like shows any fangs. You do see Bill Paxton like bite a guy, but he doesn't grow any fangs or anything. He just is all covered in blood and wearing a motorcycle jacket and sunglasses because they're in this bar just terrorizing people. Yeah, that's got um, a pretty iconic photo that if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of pictures of Bill Paxton because he's he kind of Jack Sparrows that movie and just sort of steals the show as Severin. He's kind of a dick, but it's like he's that he's funny enough that you sort of want to watch because you can tell he's a little unhinged. Um, but throughout that movie, nobody ever says vampire. The closest thing where they ever get to a point where they explain anything is like after they get back to this like hotel room that they're holed up in. He, you know, the the new vampire kids, like he sits down and he looks at Lance Hendrickson and he is like, so how old are you? And he goes, well, let's just say I fought for the South. And he just looks at and he just looks at him for a second. He goes the South. And then he just looks back at him and goes, we lost. <laughs> like, that's the only explanation you're given. Like, and I, I love it because it's so like subtle and like you can piece it together yourself if you're paying like even a ounce of attention. But it's really interesting, and they never go into the backstories, but I remember I got the like uh, collector's edition DVD a few years ago, which was the first time I'd actually watched it because I'd never heard of it until then. They had a behind-the-scenes look, and they were talking to Lance Hendrickson about it, and he was like, well, they never really let us do anything of like a backstory, but like in my own head as an actor, I just sort of like thought about it on my own to – you know, figure out where, how I wanted to play the character. And he had this really weird off the wall story where he was like a civil war soldier. He got wounded on the battlefield and he was like crawling away to, you know, get, you know, try to stay alive. And then all of a sudden he's like at this lake and there's like this fairy nymph creature that comes and basically turns him into a vampire. Like it's really fucking weird. You need to find like, if you can find that clip on YouTube or something, I don't know if it's there. It probably is. But if you can find that, it's interesting to watch because I'm like, that's probably the most unique take on becoming a vampire I've ever heard. It sounds like something out of Greek myth or something. <laughs> but yeah, if if you want a really interesting like 80s vampire movie that isn't like hyper stylized Lost Boys, you know, is very much, you know cut and dry and they don't even really like explain much of anything other than that you know you obviously can tell that they're vampires uh, i recommend watching it i think it's probably one of the better ones and it's and it's more interesting because they figure out that the only thing kind of a spoiler here guys so may want to turn it off for about 10 minutes or so the only way that you can basically go back to not being a vampire is you have to have a full blood transfusion <laughs> which I was like, that's a unique twist. That's never heard of that before. In fact, actually in the bloodline uh, video game, they do make mention of two as well. Um, one of the thin bloods that you meet on the beach actually asks you that question. He's like, I heard if we get a transfusion, we can go back to being like mortal, right? You know, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but like they do make mention of it in bloodline. So, I mean, it's a good enough movie that at least it's, you know, obviously, being sort of like you know, in, you know it's it's being referenced by other things that are inspired by it you know so i definitely recommend you guys watch that film if you can i don't know if it's on any streaming services at the moment or whatever but i mean you should be able to you know pick up a copy like cheap somewhere if you if you guys are so inclined i do re highly recommend that it's probably one of my favorite vampire movies that isn't you know it's not heavy on it if anything it kind of has that more american gothic thing with it as opposed to like the the traditional european you know dracula type stuff right but yeah it, and definitely i could see that group 
vampires game fit right in <laughs> you know they go around steal cars and you know get their their fixes and you know just basically go from town to town you know trying not to get found out and the sun with them is really bad although it takes a long time because it goes into slow-mo but like they literally look like a burnt pizza after a while which i always found that's like that's different because most of the time it's either they're running around on fire and all of that or they're you know or they do kind of like more of the buffy thing where they you know disintegrate mm. <clears throat> but so, i like the reason they did that on buffy though so i i actually didn't watch buffy until a couple of years ago and i'm still only mm -hmm. like i think i got through like two seasons of it mm -hmm. and i liked it mm -hmm. um but that was it, it was just an interesting take on the whole vampire thing mm -hmm. um I do kind of feel like they maybe could have done a little bit more with like vampire lore in general and not, yeah. not just so much, you know, uh, you know, Oh, they're, uh, you know, we're, it was a lot of drama. They, they didn't really go too deep into the whole vampire thing from what I had seen. And maybe that changes later. I mean, you do get more stuff as it goes on. Like they do some episodes where they, you know, do like flashbacks to uh, Spike and Angel's lives before they became vampires. Like Spike's actually was really interesting because, you know, he was a, apparently he was a failed poet, <laughs> like in the, you know, Vic, like either Victorian or Edwardian England times. Um, so, you know, they do go into it a little bit, but they don't go so much into the stuff like you get it like, like in in the Vampire the Masquerade, the whole idea is that they were descendants of Cain, who was the first vampire from biblical myths. You know, like uh, Buffy never goes that deep into lore or anything like that. They don't really do a deep dive because I think at the time, like in that late '90s, early 2000s, with television and stuff, they didn't really want to do that huge, you know, backstory thing. Now the reason I think they want to do that is because you've got your you know, now that the Marvel movies are big, you know, everybody wants an origin story nowadays, even if they don't really need one. Because, again, we've seen Spider-Man's origin like 1,200 times now. I think we know what happens. <laughs> you know, I think everybody's aware of who Uncle Ben is and why with great power comes great responsibility. I think we got it. Thanks. <laughs> well, at least they're trying to do like different Spider-Man universes or something. Right. now, And that's what I was that's what I was going to say, too, is at least they're doing that, which I don't mind that at all. At least it's not the same Peter Parker origin story that we all know. Like these are other spider characters that have their own different versions of their origin stories, you know, which make them, you know, very much unique and different and refreshing, you know, versus again, Peter Parker, we know who he is. We know who we got hot May now, <laughs> but honest, in general improvement. Yeah, indeed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like the silver haired lady from the, the Raimi films, but. I mean, you know, Marissa Tomei is a lot, lot prettier to look at. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Zoe, do you have a uh, a favorite vampire lore? Any particular like, specific version of vampires? You know, I was trying to think of that, but I don't know that I particularly do, to be honest. I know I tried getting into the that whole Queen of the Damned interview with the vamp. What, what was her name? I said it earlier. Akasha? No, the, the author. Anne Rice. Yeah, Anne yeah, Rice. yeah. I tried mm -hmm. reading some of her books, and I am not a fan of her writing style at all. Yeah, and that's, I mean, again, it's like anything. It's its subjective. It's just 
with her, she definitely played up a lot of the like homo side to vampires, which was at the time, you know, because that was again like, you know, early like late seventies, early eighties. You know, that was a, a new concept to most people. So she kind of played up with that, and I think she did a really good job of doing that. But I understand it's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea either. Yeah, I I, I mean, I always liked playing vampires or seeing vampires in different things, but mm-hmm. not necessarily strictly vampire stuff. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like when Mortal Kombat, when uh, when Natara was an available character, I played the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. Like both a pirate and a fucking vampire at the same time, right? I'm all about that. All right. Yeah, and I mean that—that's a you know sort of unique take on it. I mean, I think they're get—I don't think it's the same character, but for the new Mortal Kombat, they're going to bring out a character that basically does like Tremere thaumaturgy, like she makes like blood spikes out of your own blood and stuff. I'm like, that's you know that's awesome. You know that's something new. It's not quite vampiric, but that's what it reminded me of. Was like, oh, she's doing thaumaturgy like wow. a Tremere. Nice. <laughs> I think that's supposed to be Scarlet. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Scarlet. yeah. Yep, that's her name. I couldn't remember what it was, but I remember seeing trailers for that, and I was like, oh, she looks interesting. <laughs> yeah, she was a glitch from, like, one of the original games that they just finally made a character. I mean, hey, you've got Noob Sabat and everything else. Might as well, you know, might as well do that, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, like, I've... I know a lot of different vampire, like, myths and legends and things like that i know like one of the things i always found hilarious that i wish they would find a way to work into a a less serious vampire movie was the idea that uh vampires in their coffins what you would do is you would make a handmade like fishing net which is basically just a lot of not work you'd throw that net in the casket with them and so that every night when they would try to run in the grave they would have to undo every single one of those knots before they could get out <laughs> i was like this is the most ocd vampire ever <laughs> like damn it i have to undo all these knots and of course by the time they get done the sun would be up so they'd either have to stay in their coffin and wait it out another night or you know obviously they would get out and burn themselves because they were dumb <laughs> you know waiting to unravel this net you know which i thought that was it's it's really silly to us now but i mean at the time it's like fuck it makes about as much sense as anything else <laughs> that's a that's a really fucked up thing to do to a vampire. <laughs> right. Like, you want Houdini vampires? This is how you get Houdini vampires. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's like that's why I can understand the whole like this would be a really good time for me to turn into mist right now. <laughs> Just get out from under this net, out of this coffin. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I, there's little myths and legend things like that that I always found that were hilariously silly, but you know, it's something you you don't really hear about like mainstream stuff so you know I, I was like that would be funny to put in like a, some sort of a vampire comedy of some sort just, I would just love to see that <laughs> it would just make my day like oh nice <laughs> one of those lesser known myths that seems completely stupid mm. now is there anything new that has come to mind either well for either of you really like I know, Dan, we did the, the show last time. Is there anything new that's come to mind that, like, you had questions about or um, wanted to know more about, like, either about the new game? Because, I mean, I've read a few things here and there about it, but obviously I, there's not a ton of info. 
I actually, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you went over this in the first podcast, but I never got your take on the, like, new trailer. I really like the new trailer. I mean, at first, um, I was like a, a lot of people when they showed, like, some of the, the little screenshots, like, when they were sort of teasing the game before the trailer came out. You know, you had, like, the illuminated Ferris wheel, and it looked a lot like the Santa Monica pier from the first game. And it's like, oh, okay, so maybe they're doing a, you know, some people were thinking they were going to do like a remake or they were going to do a sequel directly in the same town. So to me, the idea that they're setting it in Seattle, I mean, obviously it makes sense because that's, de- that's where the dev team is. But I was like, okay, at least we're moving it into a new location, so we're going to have new characters. I mean, there's nothing saying that the characters from the original game aren't going to make a cameo or be mentioned like that. Um, but I think the new trailer is interesting. I'm really curious to see exactly how much of that, like those cut scenes and things that they've shown, are actually going to be in the game or if any of those are going to get like tweaked or omitted or whatever, you know, between now and when the game actually releases. Because sometimes trailers will do that. You know, you'll have little scenes or you might have like alpha footage of something. And then by the time the game actually released, like that whole thing you saw in the trailer isn't there at all anymore. So yeah. I'm really curious to see that transition. But from what it looks like, I mean, granted, I was a little disappointed there was no gameplay. But I, I do like the fact that at least they were pretty clear on Front Street. Like, hey, this is all CG, you know, cutscene stuff, you know, because a lot of games, will, you know, a lot of game developers nowadays will put something out there and say it's gameplay footage and it really isn't. And that's fucking bullshit. <clears throat> but I mean, it looks really good. I'm curious to see if some of these characters are going to be like people we actually meet. Like I know the, uh, the, the, you know, to make a really bad pun here, the titular image you see from that trailer is the, the really big breasted woman with the wine glass, you know, like right in front of you. And it's like, I wonder if that's actually going to be something that plays out in the game or if that's just something they threw in there for, you know, sensationalism take, yeah. you know, but I, I mean, I'm really hoping with this game that they uh, allow us to pick a play style. Because mm-hmm. one of my biggest problems with Bloodlines is I wanted to do more of the like social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And the game is like, that's cool. And you can totally spec a character to do that. But also, you're more or less going to have to fight at some point. I'm like, I don't really well, want that... to, though. Like, I don't know. Right. Well, that's one of the things that I did find interesting because there was a big article on. IGN because apparently they got to play a a demo of it and one of the things that they mentioned was that your character is going to start out as a thin blood which I'm like that's different (laughs) because you know by and large in most you know like you know the LARP and tabletop games thin bloods are usually not a good thing to start out as because you're weaker than other vampires and you know you're also a harbinger of the apocalypse so they're pretty much just going to murder you on sight you know, but um, the idea I think makes sense in terms of gameplay because you start out as a thin blood, you have access to like you know your your a few abilities to start with, and then as you progress through the game, at some point you will eventually be a member of a clan. So obviously, with that kind of, I think we'll. I'm not necessarily like pick a, a play style, but at least we'll give you a framework to have a play style. Because I mean, if you're a Ventrue, you know you're you're an upper crusty, dominate you know dominating bureaucrat essentially. So you're going to play the game like you said more in that social you know aspect. You're going to be manipulating people and you know working them like puppeteers. 
Whereas if you're playing like a Bruja or something, if somebody pisses probably just going to punch them <laughs> so you know if you want to play that way you can play it that way but you know after you get through your initial you know i guess you know quests or whatever they're going to give you to, to to progress to that point where you eventually find a place in a clan or whatever you know i think that's going to basically dictate how you play the game but i think it's going to be a more natural progression instead of trying to have you spec into something right from the get-go that would be nice if that's the case. I, I would like to see that. That's what it sounds like to me from what they described. Um, I'm looking at one of the screenshots here, and I just all I can think of is this, it's this bald guy, but he looks like a pissed off Bruce Willis. <laughs> Sounds like vampire pissed off Bruce Willis. Awesome. <laughs> I hope we can kill him later. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting screenshot, but yeah, I mean. Uh, Do we know anything about what the actual gameplay in that game is going to be? Not yet. So far, they like everything that they've released is like still shots from from in game, and then the trailer itself, which, like I said, is all CGI, whatever. I mean, there's bits and pieces of gameplay mentioned, like in that article I found, but you know, obviously because it's a, a demo, it's kind of like a work in progress demo. It's not the the full finished thing. I mean, things are subject to change. Well, I mean, um, like just in general, like is it supposed to be like an action game? Or is it an mm-hmm. RPG of any sort? Or like, For, I, I think I didn't get any to... idea from the trailer or anything mm-hmm. I've read about it, like what it actually is. Like other than yeah. we're making a vampire game, right? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be similar to the first game where it was an RPG, but I think it's going to be a little restrictive in how you play. You know, because like you were saying, Zach, about the, you know, about not being able to really play the game your way. I think that's something they're going to definitely look at, you know, fixing to make it so that you literally can play the game. Like if you really don't want to engage in combat, probably ways around that. Granted, you're probably still going to have to do combat, but I think that they're going to be a little more mindful of, you know, not forcing you to do combat like every five minutes, you know, like they're going to be like, you can get around it one or two ways. You know, to me, it, it seems from what they're describing something more along the lines of kind of like how Dishonored plays, where you do have the ability to like play the entire game without killing anybody if you really want to. It's a little, it's obviously a lot harder than just running around killing people, but I mean, you do have that option. So I think that's something that's probably going to be you know, a thing, but I know it's going to be an RPG, but I think it's going to be, like I said, more of a, you're building your character through gameplay instead of like necessarily having a character sheet or whatever. I mean, they may still have that in there, but so far with everything I've seen, I haven't seen any evidence of them going that route of having a a character sheet that you put dots in and stuff. I mean, that was a cool idea in the first game because that harkened back to the tabletop game, but I don't know if necessarily a modern gaming audience, especially ones that have never played the original game or the the pen and paper LARP, whatever, you know, I think that that might not be a good way for them to go. I think it's going to be more accessible to gamers if you, you know, make it more of a play-as-you-go, figure-your-character-out sort of well, that seems to be the direction a lot of games are heading anyway, so mm-hmm. I feel like there's a good chance of that. Yeah, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I mean, yeah, I do like that the character sheet thing, but I think for most gamers, and especially modern game sensibilities in general, you're going to want to make it as open as possible to people to play so that they don't necessarily have to like do a lot of number crunching. I mean, yeah, if you're playing something like Destiny or Warframe or whatever, like, yeah, you're going to get into your 
stuff. And I'm sure the game will allow you to do that. But on the other hand, I think it's going to be more accessible for people to play it more as that interactive movie style RPG where you're just going along, you're playing a character, you're learning stuff as you go along, you know, and then eventually you get to whatever the, the end game is. <clears throat> so is there any kind of timeline? Do we have any idea when this game is coming out? It is going to be released. Um, hang on here. Let me look. Uh, I know it's going to be next year. Um, currently, as, as far as goodoldgames.com is going, it's going to be released March 31st of next year. Okay. So basically around the same time next year. <clears throat> Which, you know, that's great. I mean, that's and I know, no, it's not really that long at all. Obviously, with the at least the CGI portion, that looks great. So hopefully if the game play itself is close to that, then that will be good. And they do have your, your pre-order packages, which I know I've heard a lot of people bitching and moaning about that already. And it's like, dude, every game does this. Fucking I get actually, over yourselves. I kind of like pre-order packages. I'm not... I do, too. I'm, I'm I do, not too. I'm not a fan of them. I, I hate that, you know... They put stuff out, and it's like, this is exclusive and special, and you gotta buy it now, or you never get it. And then a year later, they sell it for less than what the pre-order was. And, like, I get that you get that stuff early, like, you're paying to have it sooner. But that stuff always sucks in-game anyway. And, like, I don't know, like, it never matters for more than, like, five minutes. And the best-case scenario is you get a costume, Mm -hmm. and... It's like, well, that sucks. I should be able to get that without paying, you know, buying the game before I know if it's any good. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that the game does right now, actually, is if you go on the official website, if you've got a Paradox account or whatever, there's little... It's kind of like a mini-game of sorts on on the website where you find these, like, blood packs, and the more of those that you acquire you'll get in-game outfits, like, right there. So it's like, you don't even need to buy a pre-order version. You're going to get special stuff just by doing that, and all you got to do is click around a website. So I don't mind that. Like, if you just want to buy the basic edition and do that, there you go. No big deal. I mean, a lot of the stuff that most... um, A lot of the stuff that they have in their, uh, you know, edition, like their premium editions and whatnot, is mostly going to be stuff for the hardcore, like, original Bloodlines and the hardcore Vampire the Masquerade fans from what I can see here. Cause you know, you've got like your first blood pack. You'll have like a retro hunter outfit, which kind of looks like a blade outfit, which is kind of cool. Actually. Um, you've got a civil war saber weapon skin. So you can have a, a civil war saber. You'll have an engraved pistol weapon skin and a soundtrack. That's not so bad. That's for the basic, whatever edition, you know, no big deal. You know, when you get into the other two that they have like their deluxe and their premium, You'll get a whole day's head start playing the game, which, you know, that's... I fucking hate that shit. I I know you do, but I'm just saying, like, that's not terrible. Um, There's going to be an in-game art book, which, you know, for me, if you're a fan of art and you're a fan of, like, that sort of making of process and that particular part of it, you know, that go for it. I mean, most of the time, like, I've got art books from video game pre-orders that I've probably never even cracked open, to be honest. And to be honest, most of the time, that stuff's available online to look at anyway. So eh. so are you getting, like, a real art book, or are you getting, like, a digital PDF art book? If you're buying it through a digital source, I'm imagining you're going to be that way. So, like, if you're getting it on Paradox's store, if you're getting it off of GOG or something, then you're probably just getting a digital version, I would imagine. Um, I'm not sure if you if you buy it through like a, a GameStop or something, if you're going to get, excuse me, a physical copy. 
and right now this stuff here I believe is just PC I'm not sure about any console stuff um there's that training in. Well, and, that, um, and that's kind of my thing. Like, I like pre-orders, but I like pre-orders where you get nifty physical items. Where it's like, here's a poster or a shirt or a little figurine or something. Right, and that's um, one of the things that I've always... That's one of the things that I hate currently because most games that come out do that kind of shit for consoles only. Whereas PC guys don't get shit. Like, I wanted to get the, you know, extreme, like, whatever the hell edition of Saints Row that they had for consoles where you got like the, the doomsday button and the Johnny Gat statue and the dubstep gun, like mini replica. I wanted that. I couldn't buy that unless I bought a console version. Whereas the game was just, the game itself was just going to be a coaster for me. So I ended up going on eBay and finding somebody that was selling just those physical items. And I bought that off eBay for like maybe a hundred bucks. Actually, it was less than that, I think, but it's been so long, I don't remember now. But again, for the same price of actually buying that edition pretty much physically in a store and then having a, a worthless console disc that I'm not going to play, I got all the stuff that I wanted. So there's trade-offs. Um, as far as other stuff, like they have in-game commentary, which is pretty cool because it's from the guy that actually uh, made the, the original game, like one of the, the art directors of that game. He actually did a voice in that game too, so if you ever hear him talk and you've played that game as much as I have, you're like, oh, it's Romero. <laughs> um, but they've also got an outfit that looks like Smiling Jack, which I'm curious to see what that looks like, because obviously it's not going to look like the 2004 game outfit, I hope, because that would look really stupid. <laughs> but I want to see what, how it translates into current gaming you know, graphics. Um, a Jeanette outfit. Um, I like this one, especially the severed arm weapon skin, because that was one of my favorite weapons to use in the game, <laughs> was the severed arm, just running around whacking people with a severed arm. Um, a sarcophagus table, which is going to look like the sarcophagus from the first game. Damsel's Beret, which is one of the other characters from the original game. Vorman Family Portrait, which is a picture in the original game. And the stop sign item, which I'm curious to see what that stop sign item is, because it's probably in the original well, if you played the original game and you played a Malkavian, you could have a conversation with a stop sign. Like, literally a conversation with a stop sign. So I'm wondering how that's going to come into the game, if it's just a, a cosmetic thing. Like, oh, here's a stop sign, or if, like, there's any sort of interactivity with it. I'm really curious about that. It might be a new then. It, yeah, it might be. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what that item's going to be. But then, on top of that, you have their first season pass stuff, which I know that's probably another sore spot for a lot of gamers these days, but I if you get like the their... season pass so much as I mind pre-orders. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying here is like with the premium, like the most expensive edition, which even then that's like, like $89, $90. It's not really that terrible. I've seen more expensive exclusive editions, but it basically is called season of the wolf. So I'm guessing that might incorporate some werewolf stuff into the game. And you got Story Pack 1, Story Pack 2, and then Expansion, it says, which I don't know what Expansion means. But <laughs> but again, like, yeah, but again, it's still early enough to where, you know, a lot of those details will probably make more sense as we get closer to release. But, I mean, that's what you're looking at as far as their pre-order stuff goes. Um, so, I mean, take it for what you will. I mean, I, I'm not telling you to buy one edition over the other. I mean, that's up to you to decide and for your wallet to dictate. But, I mean, I think that clearly this game is set up to be as much of an homage for the classic, you know, game fans and 
And also, like, I think it's going to be a, a unique enough beast of its own because, like, watching that trailer, I'm really curious to find out who that woman is at the end that's got, like, one hand that looks kind of burned. And I'm like, who is this person? Like, is she a former prince of Seattle? Like, what is going on? The story elements are what I'm really intrigued about to find out what the story is. Like, I don't even know offhand currently in the game if Seattle is an Anarch Free State, is it a Camarilla State, is it a, is it a Sabat State? I don't know. I'm curious to find out, you know. <laughs> hmm. And some of the stuff in that trailer, like the, the, the whole river and tidal wave of blood thing, has me curious as to whether or not those are going to be more like like dream sequences or if those are actually going to be like something that could happen in the game you know like maybe that's like how the... that's a trailer thing and it, yeah it could be that too it could just be something for the trailer but I mean it definitely sets up the atmosphere of the game as being like you know modern you know like literally modern gothic like you know this is Seattle but it's going to be that dark you know upside down version of the Seattle that you may or may not know right and I think they're going to – it looks really interesting. And I'm really curious too, like that picture you see online everywhere with the whole like neon like Ferris wheel and the guy and the two dead people. Like I wonder if who that character is. Do we get to meet that character in game and what is his story? You know, like a lot of the nuggets that they've thrown out there to sort of whet your appetite for the game I think are doing their job. At least I know they are with me. But I don't know about casual, you know, gamers out there that have no, you know, frame of reference for any of the stuff going on. Well, I mean, Vampire Bloodlines 2 already, like, broke records on Steam or something, didn't it? I believe so, yeah. I think it's the most pre-ordered game on Steam currently. Which, um, I wasn't expecting that to be the game. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting the game to really have any hype at all. Um, not because well, I that's... think it's bad, but, like, just because I didn't think it would have the public reception that people expected. No, I... I think Vampire the Masquerade was like everyone's guilty pleasure. It's just yeah, like you, didn't, you didn't hear many people talk about Bloodlines. You don't meet that many people that are into Vampire. And then out of nowhere, a company comes up and goes, we're making another Bloodlines. And everyone everywhere was like, fuck yeah. It's like, wait, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where were you guys like 10 years ago, 15 years ago in the original game? I was said that actually bought it at the time it came out and the whole thing. So my, you know... My my guilty pleasure, you know, cult following or whatever goes all the way back then, you know, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. I'm hoping that at the minimum it at least is as engaging as the original game was. And I'm not talking about like it has to have bugs and all that shit. I'm talking about just the stories, the characters, the settings. Like if you look at that game, it like bleeds that, that you know, no pun intended, it bleeds that mid it, it bleeds that mid to late 90s 2000s kind of you know emo goth horror kid sort of thing like if you like if you watch the classic trailers for it, it's gonna have that in there to where you know like if you look at that game like you sort of it's like i've said about other things before is there's some games some you know albums some movies tv shows that i can watch and as soon as i start watching them it's like my senses sort of go on a time travel thing where I go all the way back then. And, you know, like I, you know, recently I was talking about, I watched um, that Kurt Cobain soaked in bleach documentary a few years ago. And when I first watched it, because they have these reenactment portions, I'm watching it. And I like literally like 
went back and it was like I could smell the 90s again, you know, which for some people may not be a good thing. But like to me, it just had that sort of rainy, dreary, you know, had the grunge feel. Right, exactly. And that's and that's, you know, I think that's what if they need to do. That's one of the things that's going to be curious for me to see with this new game, because by and large, a lot of that stuff like doesn't really translate well to now like now is a completely different time it's like i said before about watching the the la by night games it's like one of the characters is running around live live streaming on facebook and i'm like me being a classic vampire character like you can't do that (laughs) you're gonna fucking get killed man like that's 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 masquerade violation number one man (laughs) it's like you can't do that but, you know, I realize that with that game, they're using the more updated version. So obviously now that cell phones and everything are prevalent, it's kind of like, you know, either you adapt or die. So it's like, yeah, I could see that. Oh, you know, and, and I'm curious if they play it all on like the popularity of, you know, vampire lore and just, you know, because True Blood kind of did that where a lot of people pretended to be vampires to be cool. Right. So real ones could kind of like skate by if they didn't draw any real attention to themselves. Right. You know, or put on a good enough masquerade, like, you know, all, well, the way... all puns intended, they're like, it, it's literally <laughs> what they were doing. And, um, and that's one of the things that I always thought was, you know, was good about the masquerade, like the actual pen and paper games was they mentioned things like that. Cause like in the original, like revised editions and stuff, like they mentioned, you know, there are some vampires who can take photographs. There are some vampires who can't. There are some, you know, it, it just depended on, you know, whatever conditions. And I don't know if that's something that's in the new the new uh, version because I actually – I have yet to read or look through that core rule book yet. I know it's kind of something I want to do on my horizon. But the, the majority of what I know about is what I've seen through those playthrough sessions, and it's like – Honestly, it looks like an even better game than the original version because they sort of tweaked and omitted certain rule sets that nowadays would probably seem really clunky and complicated, um, like blood pools and all that. They don't really do that, but like if you're going to use your blood to do something, like, okay, you got to make a check to see whether you get hungrier. And I'm like, that's a simple mechanic that makes sense. All you got to do is roll the die and find out whether you get hungrier. You know, and then when you make your roll to do whatever you're going to do, you have to include those dice. So, like, if your hunger's at two, you got to have two red die, and then the rest is whatever it is you're rolling. And, you know, you got to see whether you get hungrier or not, whether that succeeds or fails based on that roll. And I'm like, that's that's it seems a little more complicated when you explain it, but it's a lot simpler than the whole blood pool thing and trying to figure that shit out. Sometimes that would get a little bit crazy to figure out in game. <clears throat> but yeah, as far as the new game goes, like I'm hoping it it at least sort of it does a good enough job to be its own thing as well, you know, it having homage moments, yeah. you know, and, and its reference moments. Like I want a nice balance to where it's not too much of one or the other. And and so far from what I can tell, it definitely looks like it's its own beast. Like if you didn't know anything about the original bloodlines, like watching that trailer, you know, be like, huh, this is different, you know, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping they do a little bit of tweaking on the dialogue, though. One of the things I've always hated about a lot of like vampire-related stuff mm-hmm. is just the need for every single vampire to be like Shakespearean-level dramatic in every fucking thing they say. <laughs> and it takes what could be 
a very quick conversation with an NPC that I don't really need to talk to. <laughs> Way too fucking long. And before so, I know it, I'm just turning the sound off and skipping through the dialogue because they just won't stop talking. For me, with Vampire in general, like, if I were going to run a game and I had NPC characters that you needed to talk to, I would have to think about, first of all, like, how old is this vampire? Because I could understand some vampires that have been around for hundreds of years may still talk like, you know, a hundred years ago, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. It probably gets a little annoying and stuff, especially if you don't like Shakespeare and things like that, that are long winded and use sort of like outdated, you know, verbs, verbiage or whatever, you know, yeah, that could be a little annoying, but to me, it does make sense for, you know, some of the older, you know, more established vampires to possibly still talk like that. It's kind of like when you move from a different state and you have a, a particular accent you know some people can consciously make the effort to lose the accent you know like my father you know he's from new york but he doesn't have that thick new york accent whereas his his brother my uncle still has it and he mumbles so he's even more hard to understand half the time you know I, I so know. i feel like that doesn't take into consideration time though like i guess mm -hmm. if it was a vampire from that time that isolated himself the whole period right and that's I what would i would get it but, like, I would love to see, if we're going to do the Shakespeare dramatic thing, make mm -hmm. it be by a character that also was influenced by, like, inner-city hip-hop culture, too. Yeah. Like, and I... rapping Shakespeare or something. But not only that, I think after after enough time of dealing with people, mm -hmm. wouldn't you just want to talk as little as possible? Like, you've heard so much conversation. Like, right. I'm not even 30 yet, and halfway through most people's sentences, I just want to be like, stop talking. <laughs> well, I well, think that's three hundred years. Those are the Come characters on. that you just never hear about, though, right? To a certain extent, yeah, they tend to be more of those like people that are in the shadows, and when you do talk to them, they're very, you know, one one word, you know, three word sentences, and they get straight to the point of what they want you to do or what they want, you know, from you. Um, but in terms of that, like, I don't know. I can I can see the idea of, you know, yeah, over a hundred years, you would eventually adapt you know to current language and stuff but again if you're like i said one of those you know that sort of manipulates things from the shadows just stays in their haven or stays in elysium or whatever for a long enough period of time i mean granted you're going to talk to people how you want to talk to people you know if you don't understand you know and yeah over time some people probably can't adapt you know like certain concepts are just foreign to you know older you know people like I mean, how many of us have had to help our parents or our grandparents with fucking computer problems, you know? I mean, it's that same, like, thing. Like, even though it's very simple to us because we grew up with that, they never did, and it's not that big a deal. Whereas, you know, the tables would be turned if you want to learn how to do something that's antiquated. Like, you, you can go on YouTube now and watch videos of, you know, millennial kids or whatever trying to figure out how a rotary phone works. Well, you know, but to be fair, I think a lot of people too stop caring about new things because they're like, fuck it, I'm going to die and this won't matter to me. Mm -hmm. That's where if you're a vampire, you're like, I got who knows how many hundreds of years to go. Like, I should probably figure this out. Yeah. And that's like one of the things like when we were talking about like different vampires and culture and stuff, um, I forgot to mention one of my favorite book series, which isn't vampire-centric, but they do play a large role, and that's the Dresden Files books. Um, the, there's there's vampires that have the red cord, white cord, and the black cord, and all that, and they basically, let, like, essentially like clans and, and masquerade, 
And like one of the characters that I always found that fascinating was from like the, the black court of vampires. She went by the name of Maeve or something like that, I think, but she literally dressed like a, you know, Elizabethan, you know, Shakespearean page boy, you know, like outfit in current modern times, but she also can raise the dead. So it's like, I, I'm not going to argue with your fat, you know, <laughs> she can raise the dead and do all sorts of weird, creepy shit. So, you know, in fact, she, she bought a, a tombstone for the character that says he died doing the right thing, and so he's got a cemetery plot waiting for him eventually. You know, so it's like, you know, that's that's creepy, and, and pretty much sends a message of eventually you're gonna die, we're gonna get you. You know, but like I could see that being a thing, but I don't think in this game, from what I've seen thus far, like even that one character who appears to be narrating the whole thing with that burnt hand I was talking about, the cigarette holder. You know, she seems to be perfectly with the times. Like, I, you know, her dialogue, it's long-winded, but it's in a dramatic sense, but not that heavy Shakespearean, you know, sort of way. You got a lot more of that, I think, in uh, the Redemption vampire game, because obviously you started out as a knight in the Crusades during that time. So, of course, everybody talked like that, you know, but as you got older or as you progressed through the game and, and got into the modern times, you had, you know... A, a guy that was like a British punk, you know, talking like, you know, a British punk would, you know, using the, you know, colloquialisms, you know, and all that. I think you that's know. just how I've typically seen vampires depicted a lot of times. Like, mm -hmm. because they've been around for a while, that means they're smart. And apparently for most people that make like movies and shit, being smart means acting like a douchebag 24 seven. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, generally too, that makes sense. The time you know films or whatever vampires bad guys and douchebags are bad people so obviously they should be the same obviously they should be one and the same i mean like by all accounts you watch queen of the damned with you know lestat he's a douchebag throughout the oh, entire yeah. film but every, every single vampire is a total douchebag like right I think, and i think it makes sense though from a lore standpoint for most mm -hmm. of the vampires to be pretty like uncaring about humans and emotion mm -hmm. for them because you got to keep in mind humans are basically cattle for right. vampires like you know i don't i don't particularly talk you know i mean yeah you say like funny nice things to like cows and stuff but like i don't particularly talk nice about squirrels i'm not upset when i see one hit by a car you know it's it's I just yell a perspective all... thing. Like you have a, right. you know, a lack of empathy for things, and they definitely would have a superiority complex for the most part because they do view themselves as superior to most humans. And that's kind of what they get into a little bit in the the game lore, like when lands because the Bruja and the Gangrel clans—they're the two that are closest to humanity in terms of the way they act like Bruja suffer frenzy checks because they tend to get angry really quick. So, you know, and that's very much like most people nowadays. I mean, like, you know, I mean, literally you want to talk about a, a vampire clan that, you know, is hashtag triggered, you know, Bruja would probably be those guys, you know, but they're also the ones that are, you know, that would also be considered like, you know, like I was talking about before the whole social justice warrior thing, which there's a controversy going on with this game already about that, which I'm going, I don't know what the fuck 
I don't know where you're even getting that from. Like, I don't see how from a, you know, a two minute, you know, two and a half minute trailer and a couple of articles and some screenshots, you're getting, oh, this is a woke game. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I'm like, what the see fuck that, are you... I'm kind of glad I didn't see that. <laughs> if you yeah, just like... type Vampire Bloodlines 2 into, like, YouTube, it comes mm-hmm. up. Yeah, like the one person I did like was Outstar, who she's a huge fan, and she's also worked in the games industry. I sent you guys that video earlier. She made a point-and-click adventure game version of of the original Bloodlines, which I've started messing around with, but I haven't really gotten to play too much in depth. But it looks really good. Like, it takes me back to those old-school, like, Indiana Jones, like, point-and-click adventure games. So if you guys have any interest at all and at least just want to see her work on that game, check it out. But... I've seen her video, and at least she's actually going, all right, here, let me give you what the claims are, and let me tell you why they're stupid, you know? <laughs> and, and and for a person who's from, like, Bulgaria, I think is where she's from, or Scandinavia somewhere, because she actually worked briefly with CD Projekt Red at one point, too. So, I mean, like, if anybody knows what the fuck they're talking about, it's probably this person. So I recommend watching her video, because hers is basically going over everything. It's a long video. I think it's, like, 20, 25 minutes or something like that, but... If you're kind of curious to find out what's going on with this controversy, like I would watch that one. I the mean, rest honestly, of them I've seen. I kind of don't care because, like you said, yeah. there's just no point to it. Like, there's yeah. not enough information about what, like, we don't even know what kind of game it is. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there's a controversy over, you know, the storyline is the right. dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's like, you know, I'm really upset about the way that people that live on Mars feel about humans on Earth. Like, <laughs> it's really upsetting. Like, sorry, right? But it, but it has absolutely no impact on your life at all. I mean, it's the same In reason addition, why yeah. it has the same. Re- it has like the same bullshit with the Captain Marvel movie and all that. You know, dumbass controversy that went on with it too, which I didn't even know about till it was getting ready to come out. Then all of a sudden, I started seeing stuff, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Really Can glad you just I go watch all this controversy somehow? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't, but uh, I can't because it just happens to come across my feeds every once in a while. But still, I'm just like, can't we just go watch the goddamn movie and make up our own minds about it, or play the fucking game and make up our own minds about it before I just we jump be on? Entertained? The... Like, I don't right. go to video games for my hard hitting, you know, morality, you know, discussions. Like, it's yeah, not really, I mean, not really the platform that I'm looking at. Right, but I mean, that's the thing too, though. Is in you know films and video games there's going to be that obvious you know touching upon the current pop culture and zeitgeist of the time i mean that's one of the reasons why uh, george romero zombie films were such a big deal is because with each one of them there was a bit not too heavy-handed you know but there was a little bit of a social message in each one even though like especially like with the first night of the living dead there was no intention to make it any sort of like a, a racial civil rights thing. It's just, I happened to find a, a, an actor who, you know, was the perfect guy to be in the movie and he just happened to be black. Like he didn't write it that way intentionally. It wasn't a purposeful thing that they went for. It just worked out that way. And again, you can read into that that way if you want to or not, you can absorb media, however you, but I mean, mo- by and large, a lot of the times there's text, a little bit of, you know, messages but there's a certain way to do it like avatar that one was just like a fucking sledgehammer of a message hitting you over the head with environmentalism good you know imperialism bad like we get it okay cool and i don't mind there being that kind of stuff in my media but i i don't necessarily need to be hit over the head with it but i also don't need to 
<clears throat> I don't need for things to be completely vapid either. Like I just want a nice happy ground where there's that stuff you can look at if you want to look deeper into something. But if you just want to play the game and be entertained, you can do that perfectly well and not even give it a second thought. And that's like, you know, that's where I look at most media and things like that is I just, you know, there's the part of me that wants to be entertained. There's a part of me that, you know, sometimes will enjoy those little, you know, messages and thought exercises that get presented, but you don't necessarily have to look too deep into them if you don't want to. And that's how I think all media should be consumed instead of everybody jumping on a bandwagon of hating something before it's even had a chance to be released yet. Like, Jesus, give it a break and watch it or play it first. Then tell me how much you hate it or how much you don't like the stuff that's in it. At least then you'll be an informed person instead of just jumping on a bandwagon for the sake of doing so. Nobody wants to be informed. <laughs> <laughs> that That's part of the problem, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. That's you know, let me get off my soapbox here, but you know, that's basically my idea is just play it, enjoy it. If you enjoy it for the sheer fact that you're a vampire and you get to run around and, you know, do vampire things, cool. If you want to look at the subtext of what it means to be a vampire and modern society and all that stuff, cool. You can do that if you want to. You don't have to. I mean, maybe it'll make things a little more interesting or maybe give you another layer of you know enjoyment in the game, but if it doesn't, then you don't have to look into it that far. You know, sometimes you can sit down and watch a popcorn movie. Sometimes you can't, you know, like in my case, like, you know, Dan and I, you know, you, we've we've had discussions about the Transformers films. I fucking hate them and refuse to watch any of them because I'd rather just go back and watch the cartoons. But that's how I'd rather absorb my entertainment because I thought the cartoons did a good job of having their, you know, having entertainment as well as maybe little messages here and there. Whereas this the movies are just completely vapid and explosions every five minutes. You know, and that's just how I that's my opinion on it. You know, I can play I can play the movie and, you know, maybe enjoy it on the sheer level of watching stuff blow up. But for the same on that same token, I could go watch like 10 seasons of Mythbusters and get the same, you know, get the same satisfaction and possibly learn something, you know. But that's how I like to cons that's kind of like my way to consume media is I don't mind learning something. I don't mind being entertained. If you can do both at the same time. Great. If not. Well, and you I know. think both options are okay. Like, I think there's a time mm -hmm. and a place for the popcorn explosions movie, and mm -hmm. I think there's a time and a place for you know a really funny, intelligent documentary. Like, but sometimes right. you know there is that happy medium where you get the best of both worlds. But that that's a hard right. thing to do, and I don't think that's what everybody sets out to do either. It, well, that's the thing. Purposefully, most of the time, <clears throat> in you know films and books and whatever. Usually the idea is not to set out to do that in the first place. It's just kind of something that evolves in the process. Um, like I said, with the Night of the Living Dead, that was something that sort of evolved just out of, you know, sheer, you know, dumb luck. When you went on to the second film, the Dawn, Dawn of the Dead, they just happened to think, you know, hey, these guys wandering, you know, people wandering around this mall shopping look kind of like zombies. Hey, I got an idea for a movie. And then the whole capitalism, you know, consumer consumerist culture thing was sort of a an afterthought that just evolved as the, as they were making the movie and became something of its own you know beast later on you know but if you intentionally set out to it's the same reason why you can't intentionally set out to make a bad movie you know that's one of the things that sharknado fucking completely misses the point of you can't intentionally set out to make a bad movie because when you start winking and nodding at the screen every five seconds, it just becomes completely stupid. 
most movies that are bad movies are usually made due to, you know, lack of budget, lack of time, you know, you know, meddling behind the scenes from some other external source or whatever. I don't know. What about Bruce Campbell? Bruce Campbell doesn't intentionally set out to make bad movies, though. He intentionally set out. I mean, he get. But the thing is, when he makes a movie and he's doing the whole tongue in cheek thing, he's a good enough comedic actor to where he can make that work. Oh, absolutely. Whereas, whereas, like you know, Tara Reid and fucking Sharknado, forget it. You know, this. Stick to you know. I'd rather just pop in American Pie if I want to wa- watch good vintage Tara Reid. You know, <laughs> good vintage Tara Reid. <laughs> I'm just saying, Same like package. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like if I want to watch her do something decent, there you go. If I want to watch like a train wreck, you know, and, and, and there's Sharknado. If I must, which I don't, I, I watch like clips of it and I'm like, God damn, like. You can't set out to make an intentionally bad movie. It's the same reason why you, you know, like the lost art of the movie parody is a, is an issue with me these days too. Cause like you had stuff like airplane and naked gun and you know, a lot of those Zucker brothers, like classics that when they tried to do them again later, like with varying degrees of success, like scary movie or date movie or epic movie or any of those fucking things like they eventually got dumber and stupider and worse and worse as they just kept making them but for some reason apparently people are still going to see them i don't know why i don't get it but yeah i digress (laughs) and i think that but basically getting back to the the subject at hand I think that if they want to put that sort of commentary in their game, they're more than welcome to. You're also more than welcome to not play it. You're more than welcome to bash it. But I think personally, I would probably listen to your argument or your negativity more if you had actually bothered to play the game and then tell me, okay, well, I didn't like it because of this, instead of just bashing something with a uh, two-minute trailer and some screenshots. And a couple of articles that don't really delve into too much detail because, you know, obviously boilers and whatnot. So that's kind of my soapbox as far as the whole controversies thing is going on with the game. I mean, in general, I know the game itself is going to be PG of sorts, but like I said, it's going to it's not going to be so much like, you know, uh, a Skyrim or a Fallout where you're putting stats into things and that kind of stuff. It's going to be more of learning things by playing the game and then acquiring the ability through play which I think is a more interesting way to, to do that instead of, you know, having to, you know, basically do like a tabletop game where you're, you know, in your, your stats and everything else. <clears throat> I, don't I don't know. know. I'm, I'm anxious to see what the game turns out to be. I'm just, like, I'm not holding my breath. Um, that's where I'm at. Like, and I, that's kind of my opinion with, like, all games right now. Like, there's so much potential for, you know terrible mismanagement and that's kind of what i allocation of resources like it might be a great idea they might have some really great things in it but it could also turn into an anthem where they just totally fuck up the development process and that's exactly why i have more confidence in this game than what happened with the first game because with the first game you had activision wanting to rush the product out with a, a prototype uh, Half-Life 2 engine and actually releasing it on the same day, which I, I know we were talking about the the no-clip like mini documentary thing that they put up, I guess today or a few days ago. 
<clears throat> where they mentioned like they actually had a thing at the bottom of the screen with all the games that came out at that same time and you had like I think it was I think it was like Halo 2, you had Half-Life, Half-Life 2. 2 launched on the same day. Like that game had no chance of succeeding. Exactly, especially because they didn't let them like actually develop it and work on it and tweak it and stuff. You know, and then it came out, didn't sell very well. They got one official patch to fix a lot of the bugs that they had to begin with. And then the studio fucking folded. And then it was pretty much up to the fans who were really, you know, who really got the game and really enjoyed it to fix all that for you, which that should not be the case. But I love the fact that that, that it is because essentially to me, like we were talking about, you know, cult movies, this game is very much like a cult movie. It came out and it had a life of its own beyond what even the guys who made the game initially thought it was. You know, they saw it as basically, well, it came out, it wasn't finished, and, well, we're done, so let's go find work elsewhere. You know, but in the meantime, while they were doing that, the fans were enjoying it and working on it and, you know, made it, in a way, sort of made it their own. Now, that's one of the things I know that's very few and far between. Like, I was talking about this with my dad today, actually, was that I kind of miss those days of when games had a much longer longevity because of fan developed mods and total conversions and all of that stuff like you don't get that very much anymore because now you know games are such a big business you know bigger than even hollywood movies are they've taken that away from people and granted there's some reasons for that because obviously you had the controversies like the the hot coffee mod for grand theft auto and things like that that have you know real that that sort of showed i guess you could say like the dark side of botting or whatever but on the other hand you've got things like, you know, obviously like the, the fan patches for this game that came out 15 years ago that are still being worked on. And yeah, the fact that it still has things to be worked on, you know, for most people would kind of be like, well, that game must be really shitty if they're still fixing stuff. And it's like, it's not so much that they're fixing bugs now. I mean, there's probably a few bugs here and there, but there's certain parts of the game that were omitted and certain, you know, interactions that were they're trying to bring back into the game so at this point it's almost like a you know almost more of a total conversion than just a patch well i I think the big problem with a lot of games especially from that era is that at a certain point the game is just gonna suck because of the engine that it's on Mm -hmm. the only game that i've really seen get past that problem is morrowind where people have like figured out how to build programs that more or less like attach themselves and add things to the engine and add extra scripting lines and add the ability for shaders and higher Mm -hmm. resolutions and all that shit that doesn't usually happen for most games and you know it's one thing to tweak rules and put out a few patches and do minor graphical stuff but i don't know that the bloodline one community I don't know that there's enough people to really rebuild the engine for it without. And at that point, you might as well just remake the game. To be honest. Right. Right. And that's why the idea of bloodline two coming out is really. Yeah. It's more in line with modern sensibilities, modern graphics, hopefully is not going to have from paradox, the kind of bullshit, you know, that Activision put on them to begin with. Cause, and from what I can tell, that looks exactly like what, <clears throat> you know, is, is basically happening is that it's not going to get completely micromanaged to death as far as, you know, from the, from the publisher side, it's going to be like, we're going to make this game and, you know, we're going to do it our way. And I'm all for that. Like, let's go. Let's, you know, I'm curious to see how this all plays out. And from what it looks like so far, 
I mean, I'm I'm tempering my expectations because, like you said, we've been you know, like I mentioned on the other show, is that we we've been burned a lot as gamers lately because Destiny Two has its issues, Anthem has ton of issues you know a lot of the newer games that have been coming out that everybody's been hyped up for and you know it's going to be the next best thing it turns out well no it's just going to be another piece of shit that's probably going to get forgotten in the next year or two you know and just completely shoved under the the rug as it were i mean i don't feel too burned by that that's really more of just i mean because marketing they're they're going to market their games that way mm-hmm. but uh i think that's more of just people not focusing on the right things I think mm-hmm. people have been feeling far more burned by things like 76, which right. to be fair, I think part of that also runs into what we were talking about with the whole <clears throat> sensationalist, like, this has been out for two hours, I'm going to make a video about all the problems I saw so far. It's like, shut mm-hmm. the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, granted, you know, there is something to be said for taking a risk of making a game that's completely a different like in that case it's completely a different monster than all of the games that have come before and on one hand yeah people take risks like that with games and movies and music and everything else and a lot of the time it pays off you know it was a good risk it worked out well in that case it was one of the few that you know just didn't quite work the way people were either expecting or it didn't quite work the way that it, they were intending it to and then now they're trying to have to you know they're they're trying to circle the wagons and fix it and that's, you know, also sort of met with its own, you know, risks and rewards. And at this moment, it seems like it's a lot more risks and not a lot of rewards. Well, so. I mean, I know, I know people that play it. Like, the people mm-hmm. that wanted to play it still play it, and they still have fun with it. Um, it it's really more of, like, because so many people can't... I think it's because a lot of people can't find any real work or can't afford college. A lot of people are trying the YouTube thing. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's made a lot of people a decent amount of money. Right. Simple as shit. And I think people are taking kind of the modern news way of doing it, where it's not really about being good the or producing approach. content. Yeah, it's the clickbait shit. Like, mm-hmm. every headline has to be like, oh my god, look at these problems. Now this company's going to have to fold. Look at all this money they're probably going to lose. It's like, dude, chill out. That's not how the video game industry works. Like, yeah, and first of all, that's usually when I look at that kind of stuff, I go, okay, are you one of the developers? Did you work on the game? Do you actually have any sort of personal... St- do you own stock in Bethesda? No? Then shut the fuck up. What does it have to do with you? Like, that's their concern, and they're working on it. Like, give them a fucking break, you know? And, you know, if you really are that adamant that it's a piece of shit and you don't want to play it, then fucking uninstall it and move on with your life. Well, I mean, a, reason... a lot of time it's these, like, 13-year-olds that right. you know, that... they've never had a job, they don't know how business works, and they just mm-hmm. go, like, the launch for this one game was real bad before the day one patch. This is gonna make, this is gonna ruin the company and the franchise. And No, it's not. No, it's not. For anything, no. it's not gonna happen for Elder Scrolls, it's not gonna happen for Fallout. That's like saying... The next Zelda game came out, and it had a total crash, and it was unplayable for, like, the first week, and then they put out a patch. Chances are, it's still going to be on everyone's top five list at the end of the year. Like, yeah, and I mean, that's... It's that's, not going to kill the franchise. <laughs> right, and that's something that, you know, is a very real thing that could happen with this Bloodlines 2 game. But on the other hand, 
I think now they're in a much better position than they were, you know, 15 years ago in dealing with Activision. Because, again, I'm not trying to get on the we hate publishers bandwagon clickbait shit that a lot of people like you, like we just were talking about, do nowadays. Excuse me. But now I think that, like, Paradox is a company that, first of all, they acquired the rights from the guys who made EVE Online. Because the guys who made EVE Online were supposed to make a World of Darkness MMO game. And that didn't happen. And it's like, well, you know, at that point, it's like, shit. Well, the, the, at least the, the interactive, you know, video game IP stuff for Vampire and all the other games under that World of Darkness banner are, you know, kind of in jeopardy now. Like, what's going to happen with them? CCP just going to hold on to them and, you know, be like Scrooge and, you know, hold on to all ducats? Or are we going to see them do something different? And now Paradox Interactive bought all that stuff from CCP, and now they can do what they want with it. And I think the way that they're, from what I can tell, like in the interviews, like we saw in that documentary, and with a lot of the effort that they're doing with stuff like the the Tender uh, ARG app thing, which actually was a lot of fun to mess around with. I did mess around a little bit with that. Um and that's also like another unique idea too with like we were talking about with the whole zeitgeist thing is you know dating apps are a thing now so why wouldn't vampires use a dating app to find food you know i mean yeah. it's like a grub hub for vampires you know oh, jesus <laughs> but it but i mean i think that you know they're in a much better position now cuz i think paradox actually you know has a vested interest in you know, enjoying that those properties and those characters and whatnot, and I think they're going to take them and run with them. And you know, my hope is that Bloodlines Two succeeds and is you know well received. And then maybe you know we might get a werewolf game, we might get a hunter game, we might get Mage the Ascension, or you know, Changeling the Dreaming, like some of the other you know properties that have existed under the White Wolf, you know, World of Darkness, you know, banner. That'll um, probably depend on how the sales and reception for this game go. And that's why well, I that's... think with the publisher, Paradox is smaller, and I think that's where the real advantage is. Because mm-hmm. um, when you looked at video games before they were super pop, uh, super profitable, I think a lot of publishers really cared about the video games they were producing. I think the only reason you see problems with stuff like Activision and EA mm-hmm. is because they've gotten so big. They're yeah. publishing so many games, and mm-hmm. there's so much money invested. At a certain point, when you get that big, you can't care about the quality. You have to care about the numbers. And whenever you have a downturn in gaming, and we've kind of been going back and forth and having d- downturns in the industry, mm-hmm. um, that that makes investors twitchy, and that really that pushes things out the gate. That makes people work long hours and make worse products, and you know. Yeah, it basically goes back to that whole, you know, adage that we've had for the last, like, I don't know, 10 to 15 years is the whole too big to fail thing. And it's like, yeah, if Activision releases a shitty Call of Duty game, that hardcore audience is still going to buy it and still going to play it. They can bitch about it all they want after the fact, but you already bought it. We already got your money, so... Well, and people people do really confuse, um, like, success as... They confuse it between business success and popular opinion Mm -hmm. because like Fallout 76 is one of the most unpopular games that has released in the past 10 years in the public eye, but it also was monetarily very successful already. 
Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, look enough... at Fallout Shelter, another Fallout example of mm-hmm. people fucking hating the idea of this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it being wildly successful and making them a metric fuck ton of money, essentially. Right, even though they got sued by some other video game that was very similar to theirs, they still have that game. It's still on the app store. You can go buy it right now. Like, it really didn't affect Beth- anything. I don't think Bethesda gives a fuck about being sued at this point. At this point, yeah, because again, I think they're they're in that too big to fail sort of category. It's a business expense at this point mm-hmm. for them. Like, they know it's going to happen. There's nothing they can do about it. Right. So why should they care? Bethesda's they're better off to really... just ignore it and keep it out of the public eye. Right. Bethesda's not really too big to fail either. They, when they started reining in the cash, unlike, you know, ZeniMax and Bethesda, unlike the other publishers where they were like, we need to buy up as many things as we can and just produce as many games as possible. ZeniMax and Bethesda have just been like, ah, eh, you know, every couple of years when we buy out one smaller studio and focus on the things that we're good at. You know, like yeah. if we only release one game in a year, doesn't matter. It's going to be a decent game. We have plenty of money. We're going to make plenty more money. You get people like Activision and EA, like as soon as they started raining in the cash, they were like, let's make 1400 games a year mm-hmm. with as many studios in as many countries as possible. And it's like, cool. The moment you have a downturn, that's going to fuck everything up. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I'm talking about in terms of just the games and the sales, not so much like a, you know, an economic standpoint, but yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Um, That's why Bethesda remains quality, because they make a lot of money and then they go, cool, well, we're not going to overexert ourselves, we're just going to keep doing the stuff that makes us money. Well, and Fallout 76 was more of a learning experience for them and an expansion than it was, like, it was an investment. You know, they learned to make online games because, you know, one of the things that people like to forget is failure is the way that you learn, basically. Yeah. Right. So, you know, them having a, you know, a bad game release, they learned what not to do, and they're Mm -hmm. big enough that they probably won't do that again. Right. if If they do the same thing again, they have that big fuck up, you know then I would start to get a little more concerned and be like, okay, they're not learning from their mistakes, but look what they did with Elder Scrolls Online. That's one of right. the most profitable video games on the market right now. And, and that was the game that fucked really up well heavily loved. and they learned how to to fix it. Because a lot of MMOs, if they fuck up at the beginning, they're, they're just dead. Right. right. And I think the only two MMOs that ever really bounced back from that was like ESO there was Final one Fantasy other MMO. 14. Oh, 14, yeah. 14 was an absolute fucking disaster and the, that went on for like 6 months. And there's a great no clip documentary about that how they completely remade the game in a year. Mhm. Like that's bonkers. And now the game is wildly successful and has been for years. Like Yeah, and that's, you know, but granted for every success story like that there's a, you know, hundreds of others that didn't quite make it so well and that's one of the things you know that makes a difference too is they have to have the bankroll to be able to do that and like bethesda is one of those companies that does have that bankroll so you know if you've got the the court of public opinion on your side you can generate a lot of you know liquid revenue or income very very quickly 
because you know things like kickstarter your fans will just pay for your game and then if you're a gigantic corporation style company well then you've just got you know so much money in the bank that you can just keep playing until you win yeah and that's you know that's a real concern really but and paradox seems to be one of the I, i don't know all of their games but um they seem to make, I don't know, smaller games. Like, not tiny games. They make decent games, but I feel like they don't bother putting a lot into them and make decent amount of money off of them. Mm-hmm. And so they might be in a position to really let, you know, Bloodlines 2 be good. <laughs> right. Developer willing. Well, right. And I I don't know how long that game's been in development. I don't I don't know if you guys do, but um, no, no idea. You know, I I enjoy it when companies are intelligent enough to wait to put out information about their game or show it and say, "Hey, we're doing this" because that means, you know, okay, they waited, they're confident in what they're doing. You know, it's it's going to happen and it's probably going to be pretty good. You know, it's not going to be a half-assed, barely put-together game. You know, they've made that mistake, and they've even acknowledged it and said, we learned from that, and we're not going to do that again. So right. what, would you, what would you say is an appropriate amount of time bef- like before a game releases that you should... Uh, no more than a year. Really? I was going to say a year and a half. I mean, sure. Like... Yeah. yeah, I guess. Like whatever. Like not two years. <laughs> not two years. Yeah, like, a year I feel and like a half if is, you is if decent. you announce your game four years out, you know, I I don't care because it's not going to be exactly. the same thing in four years. Well, you're developing I feel for another like, generation at that point. I feel like everybody is missing the window as hard as possible because you'll have some developers that are just like. Uh, yeah, here's here's the concept for this game. It'll be out in like five years. I'm like, I'm not gonna remember this game in five years. Just let me know when it comes out. And then you've got games that are like, here's our brand new game. We're gonna release it in like two months. And I'm like, you better hope a lot of hype is generated in that. Well, time. I mean, like that does work though. Like, look at Borderlands Three. Like, that's a perfect example of that. Like, I'm super excited for that, and it's only a couple months out. So. They absolutely can do that. And, like, when games are like, we're announcing Risk of Rain 2, and it's out today. I yeah, also right. think that's good. I, I I think it's neat that that happens, but I think that's a bad way to go about it. I think it depends on the game. You know, like... Uh, Borderlands, I'm really worried about, because they did do the, hey, we're going to mention this, and it'll be out in a couple of months. And they've already said we want to make this like our biggest game and there's already like within two hours of the announcement the hype was already unreal i mean they've been working on that game for like what five years now at least i don't know but they better hope to god that it has a flawless drop and that people don't immediately pan the shit out of it because that could be really bad for that company Oh, it, it absolutely could be the end of the borderlands franchise if it bombs this is their last chance it's kind of Gearbox's Hail Mary, like, their last few games have been train wrecks. Like, you know, Colonial Marines was a disaster. Oh, mm-hmm. God. I didn't know that was them. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they, they have a bad track, re- track record at this point. 
And yeah, I was going to say Duke Nukem Forever like really wasn't their problem, but it became their problem. So right, like they, <laughs> it, it's a fucking black mark on their record for sure, right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind I mean, of Gearbox's last chance to really make the public happy. They had We Happy Few, but I feel like that was more. That of a... was one of the hottest messes of last year, though. Like mm-hmm. that game isn't really? even the same game as, as it was when it came out. I only ever heard good things about it, and a lot of people I only heard streamed... negative things. People streamed the shit out of it, and it was fun to watch. But I feel like that game was a phase. Well, and like it's there also... was like good three months, and then after that, nobody was talking about it or playing. Well, you know? they straight up changed what that game is. Yep. In the middle of in the middle of it coming out, it's like, well, like, we it came were out, gonna... and they everybody was like, "What in the fuck is this? What did you give us? We this is not what you showed us in the trailers." And then they said, mm-hmm. oh, "Oh, okay, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're gonna fix it." And then they remade the game into a different game. It's not even the same yeah. style of game. I didn't even know that. I yeah. was very often confused of what that game was supposed to be, though. So yes. Yeah, it's like this weird kind of survival horror thing. And everybody, you know, that's what it is now. But, like, that's not what it was when it came out. That's always what I thought it was supposed to be. That's always how they marketed it. Right. That's what every single person, including the media, thought. And then it came out, and I forget what it even was. Um, But everybody's like, what in the fuck did you do? This is not good. And Mm -hmm. it's not even what you said it was. So yeah, there were a lot of really upset people about that game. But Gearbox, like, this Borderlands 3 is their last chance. Like, they are they are cashing in all the chips. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, hopefully on one hand it pays off for them, but I mean we're just gonna have to wait and see, I guess. I mean, the hype is there right now for the people that really look forward to it. Then you you know, like we were just talking about, you've got all the people coming out of the woodwork and not happy with this, that, and the other thing. You know, like obviously the whole Epic Store thing has been a big issue for most people these days. And I mean, granted, I don't really care. I mean, if it comes out on Epic Store, whatever, I'm not going to go jump on the Epic Store bandwagon. Like I've got plenty of other things to play and do between now and then. So, I mean, if that's what they want to do, cool. If they bring it to other other stores or whatever or other ways to buy it, fine. You know, maybe if it's one that I actually already subscribe to or whatever, then... I'll look into it then. I mean, well, it's going to come out on Steam like Steam, six yeah. months later, right? And but that's that's you know, that's the big argument is you know most people have already played it by then, so the people who really want to play it like day one aren't going to get to. And I well, get that argument, but I mean, my issue with it is I own all the other Borderlands titles on Steam, mm-hmm. and I want that's all of them I'm in at. one place. Like that's my main issue with it being on the Epic launcher, but mm-hmm. like. I'm not going to say that people should do this, but there's going to be a lot of fucking rum drinking and, you know, pirating going on that day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially if it is a traditional Borderlands that you can play offline. Exactly. Yeah, that's and that was a, a lot of people don't want the Epic Game Store because of how insecure the store is. Yeah, there, there's legitimate security concerns over it, and I, I don't know enough about all that to really have a definitive opinion, but it's bad enough that people should probably be cautious of it, and there are legit concerns, but we can't be 100% sure, 
So it's one of those things of like, I don't even need to look at that because I have a, you know, an equally big concern in that I want all those games in one place. So I don't even have to get that far. That's where I'm at too. I have all the things in one place. I have them all on Steam. And a lot of, like, my shift codes, my shift account is attached to my Steam account. Um, So if I get it on the Epic Game Store, I can't use my my shift account at all. Um, And if it does anything with you having save games from a previous Borderland, they're all on Steam. I I want it all there. Um, And it's kind of the same with Vampire. And I'm glad because most things come out on Steam and they're releasing that on Steam. That's Mm -hmm definitely where i'm gonna pick it up i mean but like, if i had if i had the first vampire on origins i'd want to play the second one on origins right know? it's not so much brand loyalty it's just convenience sake it's like why am i gonna have a copy of a video game in one house and then have to go like you know all the way across town to another house and play my game there like why can't i have yeah, them both I mean, on the shelf in I, one place if i've got a toolbox and it's got all of my tools in it you know, and then they're like, hey, check out this new wrench that you got to have. And I'm like, yeah, I got to have that. And they're like, ah, but you got to have a new toolbox for it. You can't keep it with the other ones. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the store decided that they're going to sell it, you know, and we're going to get more money when you buy it. But, you know, yeah. you can't you can't put it in that other toolbox or, you know, it'll explode. Well, right. and like EA lost money with me. Because of Mass Effect and Dragon Age, because I got, I think I got like the first Mass Effect, I think it's the first one, and uh, and the first Dragon Age, like the super deluxe whatever edition on Steam, and it was like, cool, if you want to keep playing these, you've got to get them on Origin, because they're not being released on Steam. Like, well, I'm done with these franchises, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much this, the state of the gaming industry address right there i think is what we pretty much covered at the point <laughs> yeah we started off with vampire and we ended up here i don't know i'm not 100 percent sure how but hey <laughs> yeah i mean it's i think everybody's just kind of nervous about the way games are going and the way that they're releasing and then everybody's looking at the whole new streaming platform where games aren't even going to have you know it's going to if we see Google succeed, we're going to probably end up in a scenario of, you know, I've got to have Amazon, Netflix, and Hulu if I want to watch all the different shows that I like. I can't just, you know, buy one show unless I want to wait some extra time and spend more money on it, and then it doesn't even work as well. You yeah. know, it's it's just a... It's, it's literally It's literally going in the direction of, like, cable TV, where, you know, Oh, yeah. if you wanted this channel, you got to buy this package. It's like, but I just want that one channel. Can I just buy that one channel? No, you have to buy this entire package. <laughs> well, and there's only one real way to prevent that problem from happening, and it's what I'm doing right now, which is just going like, I'm just not going to buy it on that. Right. I'm not using that service, and if that's like, that's why I never, I don't bother with HBO anything, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. or fucking, I don't even catch up with Westworld because it's like, look. It's too much of a pain in the... I don't want to pay for another service just to watch HBO shows, so I guess I'm not going to watch HBO shows. Fuck it. See, so I I take a different approach with that. Like, I agree with you. I'm not going to watch HBO stuff as it comes out. But I've got this incredible, like, series of TV shows that I can go back and watch because 
there's 10 seasons and I can get them at my local video store that still exists for literally $3 for a week for the whole series. Yep. Fair enough. I mean, I'd probably just go do what I did with MASH. I couldn't find MASH on any particular streaming service. So I just bought the fucking DVDs. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, there's still a use for DVDs. (laughs) Yeah, like I just, well, like recently we ran into that issue because we were watching Face Off. And we were, you know, going through all the seasons because we realized we'd stopped watching at some point, but we were going back and like watching all of them from the beginning. Then all of a sudden, one day we went to go pick up where we left off. Couldn't do it. Couldn't figure out why. For some reason, every search we put in like wouldn't pull it up. Then we found out, oh, Hulu changed it, and now that's like a premium content thing, so you got to pay extra to get that fucking show. And I was like, that's fucking bullshit. So especially we're not watching anymore. <laughs> right, especially because first of all, they didn't like put out any sort of you know uh, memo or email or anything that said, hey, by the way, these shows that you're watching are gonna be like premium, and you're gonna have to pay extra for them. Like there was no warning at all until like a couple of days after the fact. It's like, oh, by the way, we did this. Oh, thanks for telling me now, fuckface. You know, like that's, that could have been, that's information that would have been useful to me yesterday. Well, and that's <laughs> why I stick with the, the platforms that I stick with because they're mm. reliable and have the biggest library of things that I like. So like games, I use Steam for shows and movies. It's Netflix, like, you know, the, the most reliable with the biggest library. Yeah, there's stuff on like, Funimation or Hulu or HBO that I would watch. Mm-hmm. Hell, I I still want to see the new Star Trek shows, but I'm not getting CBS All Access. Yeah, I want to watch. I'm the just new... not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch the new Twilight Zone, but again, that and so <laughs> you know whatever, man. I mean, you can do that all you want, and I mean, there's you know it's still probably going to be successful regardless of our own personal you know antithesis towards them but i mean you know whatever if it works for them great if not yeah i'm still over here i'll catch them eventually once they go like you know on dvd or some other service where i can you know watch them without any issues yeah so yeah but i know it's getting kind of late and i'm sure dan's probably got to get ready for bed and get to work and stuff so we should probably think about wrapping up here yeah i think that's a good plan yep um but uh, yeah, I think that was interesting. I'm looking forward to doing another episode too. Um, yeah, I'm, and a I'm thinking more as far as oriented as well. Yeah, and in, indeed, indeed. I mean, we'll probably do that one. I'm going to say probably like maybe a few weeks from now, just to give you guys some time to what, what is you it? know do another, another vampire uh, episode, a more a more centric, a more vampire centric episode. Um, give you guys some time to like look into stuff and maybe like have some questions and stuff we can talk about. Um, I know we covered a little bit of it here, um, but I mean, you know, there's always more to, to look at, you know? Yeah. And again, like, you know, by then too, we may have even more in the, uh, the new game itself too. So that'll also be stuff to, to go over as well. I I am hoping to see some kind of gameplay footage at some point. Yeah. I'm sure there will be. Cause I mean, I know, but, Somewhere there's going to be more, you know, game, you know, developer, you know, conventions and things. So there's probably going to be more stuff kind of given out sporadically between now and then. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely go over that stuff as they as they come out. But in the meantime, I mean, for what we've got, we've got enough information to kind of get an idea 
of what we're in store for, for the most part. And I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm not necessarily like hyped up. Like I haven't pre-ordered it yet, obviously, because I've had other financial issues going on right now. But in general, I think it looks interesting. I'm excited to see where they go from here. And I'm, you know, genuinely hopeful that, you know, it, it succeeds and that we can get more content, maybe not necessarily vampire, but like I said, there's other properties in that, you know, in that world of darkness IP that I would love to see expound, you know, I would love to see more of, especially some of the stuff that I never actually got a chance to look over or play. Cause like, uh, like they had a, a mummy game. I never got to play that. I never got to play uh, the mage game, which I've looked into some stuff of that, you know, in recent years and it looked really interesting, but I never got to play any of that. And I know there's a lot of people out there who like white wolf and world of darkness, but didn't really get into vampire or werewolf. They got more into some of the other stuff. And so I'm hoping that if this is successful, eventually they'll look into doing some more of that stuff. Cause I know at one point there was a plan to make, a, a werewolf game but i think that was when they were still under ccp's banner or whatever when they were gonna mm well so. hey i mean if they could bring back the hunter series i would be 100 percent on board because that's how i got into that universe did you play the original xbox game because that was something we i did touch upon briefly in the previous episode i actually um, i played both and i played the ps2 one i played the entire trilogy there was a trilogy? See, fuck, I didn't even know that. I knew yeah. there was a game that came out Xbox One, like the original Xbox. No, but... yeah, it was real weird. They had they had the original one on Xbox, and then mm-hmm. they had the sequel on PS2, and then they had the third one on Xbox. Okay. Hmm. So, yeah, it didn't make so... any sense if you just had Xbox, because you missed the middle of the story for no fucking reason. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I've never. I knew there was one on the on the original Xbox, but I didn't know they made other ones. I'm gonna have to look into that some more now. Yeah, the absolutely. fuck, man. <laughs> look, moped, like you <laughs> shut the fuck up while we're trying to do a show here. Buy a Jesus. moron. <laughs> well, buy a real fucking car <laughs> or motorcycle, whatever you know. Stop being a dick. <laughs> I couldn't agree drive more. I hate mopeds so much. I only hate them when they're in front of me on the goddamn highway. I get I that you're street I hate them when but... I see them sitting on a fucking driveway. So <laughs> not I, even running. <laughs> right. I think this is a great, great moment to end the, the podcast on. Just healthy reminder for everyone. Don't be a dick or we hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're going to, yeah, we're probably going to let you know you're being gonna leave it at that (laughs) (laughs) you can't chase us either because fuck you stupid moped (laughs) i was gonna say i could probably put a stick in the damn tire and you'd flip over like a fucking bicycle (laughs) oh god i would pay to see that (laughs) (laughs) or it'd be like that one video where the kid throws the ball and it hits the girl right in the fucking head as she's going by it's like oops (laughs) i just i always picture the people driving mopeds as the grinch from the jim carrey movie (laughs) riding a little bitty car (laughs) so don't be the Grinch basically I will laugh at you in public right please don't be the Grinch unless you're very shame you unless you're doing a very well done cosplay then you know okay we'll let let that slide (laughs) oh all right and on that note guys um I think we're gonna call it a night and we'll be back mm-hmm. uh, probably Sunday with another regular episode where we'll probably spend three hours talking about the economy again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, hey, at All least right. you can't at least you can't say there's no content here. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. All but, right, uh, well, you guys have a good night. Yep, indeed. We'll see you next time. Seven thirty in the morning. This is what I have instead of coffee.